Welcome to the Faith Pampa Podcast, the podcast teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church in Pampa, Texas, where our fellowship seeks to grow in Christ, manifest love, and make disciples all for the glory of God. My name is Mike Woofley, and this is episode three in the Faith Pampa Podcast, Growing in Christ. Today, as we continue our inaugural series in Being the Image of God, Pastor Dylan Hill will be sharing how we are to grow in the likeness of Christ. He will also be discussing what the purpose of this growth is. We will hear about how it is by the grace of the Lord alone that we are grown in His likeness and that we are ultimately grown in this image in order to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. And now, Episode 3, Growing in Christ. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to continue on in our series, being the image of God to Pampa, speaking specifically today about what it looks like for us to grow in Christ. As you're turning there, I want to remind you that as a fellowship, we have adopted a three-point strategy here. The last two weeks have been more foundation and establishing kind of the principles behind what we're doing. But beginning this week, we're going to be talking for the next three weeks, Lord willing, about the three points of our strategy here at Faith Bible Church for representing Christ and proclaiming the gospel here in our community. Beginning with growing in Christ, next week we'll be manifesting love, and the week after that we'll be talking about making disciples. But this week, obviously, we begin with growing in Christ. We're going to begin in 1 Peter chapter 2 today verses 1 through 10. The Apostle Peter writes here, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may be grown into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray and seek the Lord's guidance as we enter into a time of study in his word. Lord, we exalt and praise you and give you thanks for declaring your word that by the hand of the apostle Peter, you might faithfully record your word and that you have faithfully preserved this word to us this day. 
that we might study the word of our God and know the God of the word. And so, Lord, we come before you to this day praying, deal bountifully with your slaves that we may live and keep your word and open our eyes to see wonderful things from your instruction. Guide us into the truth of your word that we might be further conformed to the image of God in Christ to make your glory and salvation known to the lost and dying. Bless us this day, Lord. Let your spirit be upon us that your people might be built up, encouraged, and equipped to do the work that you have sent them to do, that you have prepared for them beforehand. And Lord, I pray for myself that you would speak here in this time and that I would not speak from the empty arrogance of knowledge, but that your voice would be heard above all, that you would be exalted and praised and glorified. Bless this time to your honor and your glory. We pray this in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. So in the last few weeks, we've been talking about certain misperceptions and reorientations of what it means for us to be the people God has created us to be. And this is no different for what it looks like to grow in Christ, why we are wanting to grow in the likeness of Christ. We have mistaken impressions about what it means to grow in Christ. Some have this idea that the purpose of growing in Christ is just to live moral lives, to be nice people, to reflect the niceness of Jesus. Other people, that it's intended to make everybody feel good about themselves and to be able to endure through life. And other people, just so that the faith and growing in Christ, life will be easy. But this is not the purpose for us growing in the likeness of Christ. We need to see that we are intended to grow for a purpose not for the sake itself. Look at Peter's explanation today of what the church was intended to grow for, not only as individuals, but as a community as well. And we're going to look at the source of that growth, which we will see is in Christ himself, that it is by his grace that we are grown in his image and for his purposes. And so to give you a little bit of context for the epistle here, Peter was writing in about the year 63, and he was writing to these believers who were in Asia Minor. This would be modern-day Turkey. And as he opens his letter before chapter 2, he's essentially explaining the glory of salvation, how amazing it truly is. And he goes on to explain that the suffering that the Christians are enduring in their context has a purpose that it's intended for a specific end. And then he begins to concern himself with declaring the proclamation of salvation from the prophets and the apostles that have come before him. And then he concludes just before chapter 2 that if they have hope in Christ, they were to live in accordance with that faith. And so we pick up in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, with Peter getting very specific about the purpose of the fellowship, the purpose of being a Christian. And it is not simply to live moral lives. It's not simply to feel good about myself. And it's not to have an easy life, which I would hope would be self-evident. But the main idea that Peter is trying to communicate here is this. That the command for the Christians in Asia Minor was that they long for the fundamentals of the faith, that they might be grown into salvation and be built up 
for the purpose of offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God and to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. This is the purpose that Peter lays out for them. So first of all, beginning in verses 1 through 3, they were too long for the pure fundamentals of the faith. But Peter begins with a presumption here, uh, beginning by calling the Christians there to put away certain things. He begins by saying, put away malice. The word being used here has the idea of ill will toward others. To put away this. To put away deceit. The idea here is cunning or treachery, obviously for one's own benefit. To put away hypocrisy. The idea is play acting. Often we get the reference back to Greek plays where multiple masks would be used to portray different characters by one particular actor. Uh, this is the root of this particular Greek term, but the idea is you're play acting. You're doing an outward show for the benefit of others, even though it's not truly who you are or what you are really like. To put away envy and jealousy, which as we've seen is rooted in this desire to have that which is not yours. And then also to put away slander, evil speech, defamation of others. These things, he presumes that you, we should be putting away these things. Just as Paul previously last week began to speak about all the things that we should be putting away that keep us from unity. Likewise, Peter says these things are not going to serve the purpose of growing us in Christ. We need to put these things aside. And so he commands these Christians to put these things aside. But then he goes on to command them rather to focus on longing for the pure spiritual milk. Now, what does he mean by this? He's talking about the pure fundamental truths of the faith in which they believed. So what are those pure fundamentals? Well, absolutely at the core of fundamentals is the gospel message that the Lord of all creation sent his Son who is likewise fully God, to be fully man, to teach us the love of God, the righteousness of God, to call people to repentance, confession, and faith in him who died on our behalf, was buried and raised three days later, and ascended to the right hand of God, and he will return one day to judge the living and the dead. And it is in this person, the person of Jesus, that we trust in his person and work that we might participate in his death, burial, and resurrection and find life in him. This is by far the most fundamental and important message. We'll see this with Paul when we get into our study, Lord willing, of 1 Corinthians soon. This is a fundamentally important message that has to be understood in its entirety, but it's also something that you will never understand to its fullest extent. What else? the fundamental doctrines and teachings of the faith that cannot be denied and still have someone still be a Christian. Now, to be perfectly honest with you, the language of these doctrines in Peter's time had not been fully developed. And so it's a little more difficult for these early Christians because they had to just kind of understand it conceptually, not necessarily with the technical language we use like Trinitarianism or hypostatic union and the like. If you're unfamiliar with those words... I completely understand. They're not words we use commonly. But the idea that we worship a God who is one essence and three persons, that we worship a Jesus who is fully God and fully man, 
We use a lot more words to describe this, but these are the fundamentals of the faith. That your salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. All these simple fundamentals are extremely important. And if you think you are beyond the fundamentals, you are absolutely positively wrong. You will never be beyond these fundamentals. And I can assure you it was very important for the Apostle Peter that they maintain their focus on these fundamentals because I assure you when the false teachers come, when the enemy comes, they attack the fundamentals. The purpose of this emphasis, though, upon the fundamentals was so that they would be grown into salvation. I want to point something out here. I don't know what your translation says. I do know that mine, the ESV, has the tense here, the verb tense, as uh, active. That, it, that by it you may grow up into salvation, but the tense is actually passive. It's not that they would grow up, but that they would be grown up into salvation. In other words, they're not the ones growing themselves. It is God who is growing them into the salvation that they've received. So what does this mean? That by emphasizing these fundamentals, by growing in them and understanding, they should be maturing. But they're maturing by virtue of the grace of Christ poured out upon them, and they're growing in the likeness of the salvation that they have received. In other words, if they have received this kind of salvation in Jesus, then they should be reflecting this kind of person that is Jesus more and more. But only by virtue of his grace growing them up into that image. But the presumed condition for them being able to long for the fundamentals was that they had tasted that the Lord was good. This, again, this is a fundamental truth that the Lord is good and that they had tasted and seen that this was the case, that he would be merciful and gracious, and he would grow them up into that salvation. So the whole point here is that he wants them to put aside the things that will keep them from being grown, that will hinder them from being grown in Christ, and for them to look to the fundamentals of the faith out of which they will never grow and be consumed with this desire to be grown in the likeness of Christ. So having come to Christ, they were being built up for a particular purpose. It wasn't just grow up into looking like Jesus. There's a specific purpose, and he moves into this in verse 4. Before being built up, the Christians had come to Christ. Let's just say that to begin with. He begins in verse 4 by saying, coming to him... The understanding is that they have come to him, that they've come before the Lord, that they've trusted in Jesus. They've trusted in the person and work of who he is and what he has accomplished. They have come to him in the hope of his deliverance from sin and death and have submitted to him in repentance and confession. There's the presumption that this has to happen first. And it should be stated, you cannot grow in Christ if you are not a Christian. It is not possible. You may start to look moral and start living moral lives, but you are not in Christ necessarily unless you have trusted in him, confessed, repented, and put your faith in him and submitted to him. And so he presumes that this is what they're coming to him with. Now Peter then observes that the one whom they are trusting in is this living stone that was rejected by men, but whom God sees as chosen and precious 
And so be very careful with the grammar here. It says, uh, in your version, it might say something as, uh, to the extent of, as you come to him, uh, a living stone rejected by men. He's not talking about the people he's talking to. He's talking about Jesus, the one they're coming to. So it says, coming to him, who? The one who was a living stone who was rejected by men, but he's chosen and precious to God. What does this metaphor mean? Well, the idea here is anytime you start talking about a stone, you're talking about possibly two different metaphors. The first one has to do with memorials. This is something we see throughout Genesis through Deuteronomy, into the book of Joshua, and other books, that stones were set up as a memorial and a testimony to what God had accomplished. And so here Jesus could be very well being seen as this living stone, this testimony to what God has accomplished for our sake and for his glory. Now we'll get into another dynamic of this metaphor in a little bit when we start speaking about him being a cornerstone, but he is the only and final legitimate testimony of what God has accomplished for our salvation and for his glory. That is the image that's being developed here in this metaphor of him being this living stone. But he's also a living stone that was rejected by men. He's chosen and precious to God. But men rejected him, turned away from him. But he was chosen and precious to God. And if something is chosen and precious to God, you need to pay attention to it. And the result of their coming to this living stone was that they were being built up. Again, please note here that when it says in verse five that, they, 5 that they are being built up a spiritual house, again, it is passive. They are not the ones doing the building. They are being built up by someone else, presumably God, in his grace because of who Jesus is, not because of what they've done or who they are. It is him who is building them up into this spiritual house. So twice now in this passage, we've gotten passive building up and conformity. Again, earlier we had this being grown up into salvation. Now this being built into a spiritual house. Now, he's, again, he speaks of this being built up into a spiritual house. Well, what kind of house is this? It's not physical, obviously, because it's described as spiritual, and there's a definite difference between spiritual and physical in the scriptures, but it serves as somewhat of a temple of sorts, potentially. This house is not just any house. When we speak of a house in scriptures, oftentimes in relation to God, it's a reference to a temple of sorts. An image that's used by Paul elsewhere in 1 Corinthians of us being a temple of the Holy Spirit, that we're being built up as a testimony as well. They were being built up specifically to go beyond this to be a royal, or excuse me, a holy priesthood in order to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. Now, to be clear, remember that a priesthood serves two purposes. The first is to represent God to the people, and secondly, for the people to be represented to God. And so for these people, the Christians there, they're being built up into a spiritual house that is supposed to be a holy priesthood, a priesthood set aside to represent the people to God and God to his people, but more importantly, God to his people. So again, when we look at ancient Israel, 
We have God, the priest of the temple, and the nation. The priests represented God before the people. But then the nation of Israel was supposed to be a nation of priests. In other words, their entire nation was supposed to represent God to the nations, all the Gentiles. And so here again, as we come to this passage, we have Peter calling up the exact same imagery. They are to represent Christ as a priesthood here. To show the sacrifice that we could not offer on our behalf. The only one that could be offered in Jesus. We couldn't offer any sacrifice that was sufficient to deal with our sin. Only Jesus could be offered. And so they represent that to the nations. They offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. What does this mean? What are the nature of these spiritual sacrifices? First, it is a sacrifice made possible only through Christ, just as I mentioned a minute ago. For instance, when we come to the table of the Lord, we celebrate a sacrifice that was offered for us that we could not offer. As I mentioned before, you can pay for your sins. It's very easy. You die and take the wrath of God upon yourself, and you go to hell forever. That's how you pay for your sins. But God in his grace and mercy poured out his wrath upon Jesus so that we could die in his death and be raised in newness of life in his resurrection so that we would not have to suffer that wrath. And so first and foremost, we need to understand that the sacrifices that the priesthood is representing to the nations is the sacrifice of Jesus. But also they are a living sacrifice, sacrificing their lives over to this work of representing Christ. Their lives are completely turned over to him. All the plans they had, all the intentions they had, all the things that they put in their life because that's what they wanted, all of it gets turned over to Jesus. Lives poured out and sacrificed to do his work and not the work they want to do. And so he gets very specific here with who it is exactly that they're trusting in, who it is that they have looked to and believed in. And he cites three different passages here. He begins in Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16, by pointing out that those who believed in Jesus and this ability to believe in him and found themselves in him is based in the Hebrew Scriptures and in the Psalms, specifically in Isaiah and Psalms here. So Isaiah 28, 16, those who believed in him would not be put to shame but would be honored it says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. This is where he gets the comment earlier that to God he is chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. I love Greek because in English we don't have double negatives. When you use a double negative in English, it becomes a positive. But when you use a double negative in Greek, it's like, no, really, no. It's a heavy emphasis on no. So what he really says is, so whoever believes in him will no not be put to shame. He will absolutely not be put to shame. That's how strong the emphasis is here. That those who believe in this cornerstone and don't reject him will not be put to shame. He goes on and he further says, so the honor is for those ones believing but for those who do not believe, 
He goes and cites Psalm 118.22, which we read earlier. The stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the chief cornerstone. So they don't understand that the one they've rejected is the chief cornerstone of God. No other is the legitimate representation and foundation. And they've rejected that one. And the consequences are severe. And it concludes by saying in verse 8 that these are the ones who, again, this is going back to Isaiah chapter 8, verse 14. He is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. In other words, these who are expecting their Savior to be very different, and mind you, the Jews were expecting a very different Messiah. Not one that would be executed on a tree, which, by the way, in the Hebrew Scriptures, it states that anyone who is executed on a tree is cursed. And this is exactly what happened to Jesus. This is not the Messiah they were waiting on. And yet, this is exactly the one that God had as his chosen and precious stone. And so this became a point of stumbling and offense to the people who rejected him. And Peter concludes by saying, they stumble, disobeying the word. They disobey the word in the fact that they do not believe that Jesus is who he says he is. They disobey in submission to Christ. They don't submit to him. They don't trust in him. And therefore they stumble. And he concludes with this terrifying comment, unto which they were also appointed, or as your text may say, as they were destined to do. Disbelief revolt, uh, excuse me, results in stumbling and failing. So this is the Jesus that he's calling people to believe in, to trust in. And then he comes to verse 9. And this is where it all comes home. They were a people made to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. The ones who believed in Jesus were designated by God as what? Here he lists them off as a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for a possession to God. A chosen race, a people specifically chosen by God, precious in his sight, that he loved. Not because we're special, he makes that very clear throughout scriptures, that we are not special, there's nothing special about us. We are sinful, wicked, and vile. He chose us because of his love for us and his grace and mercy a chosen group of people for his purpose. A royal priesthood. Again, I referred to this earlier with the priesthood, but let me add royal here. That this is a priesthood connected to Christ's royalty. He is both prophet, priest, and king. And so it is a royal priesthood in Christ to represent the king. Not just to represent God, but to represent the king as well. A holy nation, a group of people completely set apart, different from the world. They were to be completely different, to represent Jesus because he is so different from the world. The stark contrast between Jesus and everybody else they were around. That's what they're supposed to be. And then they were a possession to God. To be his and we see this in the rest of Scripture, that we will not be snatched from his hand. 
We are his. If you are in Christ, you are his, and there is nothing that can take you from him. But then he goes on and concludes, they are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and a possession, or excuse me, a people for possession of God. And he concludes this, they were designated these things in order to accomplish a specific purpose. And if you are a person who highlights in your scriptures, you need to highlight the second half of verse 9, although I know not everyone is into that. This is the purpose. This phrase begins with a purpose word that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you're in Bible memorization, which you should be, Second Peter, I mean, excuse me, First Peter chapter two verse nine is a very good verse to memorize, because this is the purpose for which we grow. This is the purpose and intention of them being grown up into salvation, of them being built up as a spiritual house, is to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called him out of darkness into his marvelous light, the one who brings salvation. This is our purpose. It's not to live moral lives. He wasn't asking them just to live moral lives amongst the Romans and Greeks to just be different than them for no good purpose. He wasn't just asking them to feel good about life. He wasn't asking them to just be, a get, be able to get along peacefully just because Jesus made it so. He's asking them to be grown up by his grace to make known the excellencies of Jesus. That is their purpose. And not just their leadership, as we talked about before. Every single individual sitting in the fellowship of the church, this is your purpose to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus, to proclaim the good news. The ones who believed had experience, a new experience with God, and he concludes here in verse 10. Once you were not a people, in other words, you had no connection to one another, and you were not united to any God. And bear in mind, in their context, you serve whatever God is most beneficial to you. And you make sacrifices to that God to get what you want, which is why idolatry, I, in, my, in my humble opinion, is connected to covetousness by Paul. Is because it's trying to get what you want from some deity. They were not a people united in God, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. They were a people who were, as Paul points out in Ephesians chapter 2, destined for the wrath of God from their very birth. And now they have received mercy in Christ to be his possession. So again, Paul's point here is for the Christians in Asia Minor to long for the fundamentals of the faith that they might be grown into salvation and be built up for the purpose of offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God and to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. So what does this mean in our context? As we come to Christ, and, and bear in mind again when we study the epistles and the letters of the apostles, the connection is, very, is pretty direct. So as we come to Christ, presuming that you have, we have to long for the fundamental truths of the faith as well, that we might be grown into the fullness of salvation, 
we having in Christ, excuse me, the salvation that we have in Christ, and be built up for the purpose of offering to God fully submitted lives and proclaiming the excellencies of Christ. Now, I do want to review from the last two weeks. Two weeks ago, we discussed the issue that man was created to be the image of God, his representative who has come to make his glory and salvation known, and that only as much as one is redeemed in Christ and conformed to his image can one be the image of God in this age, because Christ alone stands as the only legitimate image of God at this point. And last week, we talked about what it means for us to be the church, that the leaders of the church are here to equip you for the work of the ministry. And that again, when the leaders of the church are functioning in the capacity of teachers and shepherds, it is not our job to do the work. It is your job to do the work. Now again, does that mean we're not doing the work? Absolutely not. Because when we leave here and we're not serving in that capacity, we're doing the same thing. But the expectation is not that the elders and the pastors do all the work. Again, the 80-20 or the 90-10 rule does not apply in the church. 100% of the people do 100% of the work. And so we come to this point where we need to be focusing in on the fundamentals of the faith. So whose job is it to proclaim those fundamentals? Well, part of it is the pastor-teachers, which we talked about last week. But we're also going to talk about how it's all of our responsibility to seek out the fundamental truths of the faith as well, that we might be grown up into the salvation we have in Christ. And so since our growth and being built up is something outside of our control, we have to begin in a very specific place. We're not the ones who are growing ourselves. We're not the ones building ourselves up. It is the grace of Christ alone. Now, I know Peter starts with longing after the fundamentals of the faith, but I absolutely assure you he'd be perfectly fine where I'm going to go a step before that today. Because I want you to understand that I know that when I say, hey, take this really big book and learn it, that some of you panic. First of all, this is why we're doing Walk Through the Bible series. But second of all, this is why we are here is to help you with this so that you don't panic. So I'm going to step back one more step before this, and I'm going to tell you this, that if our growth and being built up is something that's outside of our control, the first place to begin is seeking the grace of the Lord in prayer. This is the simplest and most important step, is to go on your knees before the Lord seeking His grace. Again, Peter mentions that, you, that we are seeking these things to be grown up, to be built up. But Paul speaks to this too, Philippians 1.9. He points out the fact that we are not the ones who are operative here. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's the one doing the work. Philippians 2.13, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. By the way, not for yours. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. Listen to me carefully here. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now the reason I bring this one up is because it is a fruit of the Spirit. It is not the fruit of your labors 
or the fruit of your effort. It is the fruit of the Spirit operative in you. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. It is him who is doing the work. And so if he is the one doing the work, we have to go before him in prayer. A building does not build itself. I will confess to you openly, I am not an engineer, but I'm pretty sure buildings don't build themselves. And the imagery that Peter has brought up here is of a building. We're not the ones doing it. And so we have to seek His grace first and foremost. And I assure you that if you pray for the grace necessary for you to be conformed to the image of Christ, you will be. How do I know that? Well, first of all, I've mentioned this a few times, but I don't know how many of you have heard this recently. Luke chapter 11 revolutionized my prayer life. Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 13, Jesus says, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Now listen to this. This is the, the important part here for today. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? In other words, God has commanded you to be loving. God has commanded you to be gracious and merciful and patient and gentle and kind and joyous. So when you come before him and you say, Lord, make me to be loving. Teach me compassion for those in need and a passion for the reconciliation of the lost. Teach me to be sacrificial for others. I absolutely assure you, he will do it. And you need to assume that he will. Why? Because he wants you to be that way. So why wouldn't he answer that prayer? Obviously. Now, we need to be careful because there is an exception here. James chapter 4, verse 3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. The caveat here is that James points out is, look, there's a difference between asking for the things that God wants you to do and be and the things that you want. Nevertheless, if you ask for that which the Lord wants you to exhibit and to be, why would he not give it to you? So pray for loving kindness to be in your heart, mercy, grace, joy, faith, gentleness, kindness, patience, self-control, just, humble. You pray for these things, you will get them. Now, I cannot speak to how painfully you will get them, but it will happen. Because you will be taught and formed in the image of Christ because that's what he wants. 
So again, pray for the grace necessary for you to be conformed to the image of Christ. Since our growth and building up are based in the fundamental truths of the faith, though, we have to long for the teaching and learning of the word of our God. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17, very familiar, hopefully, to you. All Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. What does that word complete mean? It means whole in Christ, to be what he is supposed to be in Christ, in order that he is equipped to do every good work, work that the Lord has prepared beforehand. John chapter 17, verse 17 the Lord says, this is Jesus speaking, he says, sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. They are to be sanctified, set apart in truth. The truth should have a transforming effect. Why? Because the word of God has power. It has the power to transform. Psalm 1, 1 through 3, I don't know how long it's been since you've been there, but it is brilliant. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Listen to this. But his delight is in the law of Yahweh, and on his law he meditates day and night. An ever-constant study of the Word of God. But then he goes on. I love this image. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all he does, he prospers. If you can see this image here of these trees next to the water, they are never lacking in sustenance from the water. They are never lacking in nutrients from the animals that are dying in the water and being decomposed all those nutrients into the soil for them to grow. Never lacking because they are right there with the source of their growth and nutrition. And therefore they bear fruit in season. When they are supposed to do what they are supposed to do, they do it because they have what they need. They don't wither away because of the elements. They have what they need. And all they do, they prosper. The point is this, when we are connected and stay connected with the Word of God, just as it says in the Scripture, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. We are able then, by His grace, being built up in the faith, able to thus produce the fruit of the Spirit we spoke of earlier at due times, when we're supposed to. And so... We need to seek to know the God of the Word by studying the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, you are part of a Bible church. Bible churches naturally have a problem. I'm not saying it's necessarily one here. I just want you to be aware of it being an issue. When I say to a bunch of Bible church people, what is the center of your faith? The response I so often get is the Bible. That is false. The center of your faith is the Lord Jesus. The Word of God is a mediating authority between God and men. The center of your faith is Jesus. And so when we study the Word of God, it is not just to know the Word of God. It is to thereby know the God of the Word, who He is, what He is like. Does that mean you're going to have to put out some effort? Absolutely. But the payoff is knowing the God of all creation. 
So how do you go about doing this? First of all, sit under pastoral teaching. What you're doing right now, great start. And all you had to do is come in here and sit down and listen. But listen to me very carefully, and I want you to be very, very wary of this. It is not my job to talk over your head to make you feel like you cannot understand. My job is to teach so that anyone can understand. And so if you're not tracking, you need to tell me. I'm not going to be offended. No one's going to be offended. If anything, I'm going to look at you and say, I am so sorry that I have been unclear. That's why you're usually not going to hear me using a lot of big theological terms while I'm up here like superlapsarianism and infralapsarianism. Now, if you'd like to know what those are, I'd be happy to tell you what they are. But nonetheless, that, that's not the point. The point is so that everyone can understand. Not that these words are not important, but if I say them and don't explain them, that's a problem. What else do you need to do? Study the scriptures. I hear people all the time, well, I just don't feel confident studying the scriptures. Um, you're being prideful. You need to humble yourself before the Lord and do it. Or you're being fearful. And you need to go and do it anyway. And just for you men, I'll say this, because I'll be honest with you, I see so many women who are so faithful to studying the Scriptures. And I will tell you, the history of the church has been filled with so many faithful women. In fact, there's a phrase that I learned in seminary, that the church has marched on the backs of women because women have carried the church so much over the centuries, and men have been absentee. Gentlemen, it is time to man up and do what is necessary to get into the Word and confidently study it and know your God and lead. So don't let pride stop you. Don't let fear stop you. If you need help, come ask. That is what we are here for, and I assure you, if you come ask, I will jump up and down in joy. Nothing would, be, would make me happier than to study the Scriptures with you and help you build confidence so that you can know your God. That goes for everyone. And then you need to labor in what you've learned. What you learn from the Scriptures, you need to put into practice. Again, it is by His grace alone that you'll be able to do this, and that's why we need to continue in prayer at all times. But put into practice what you have learned. Because when you do it, you will truly be learning it in a way that is far greater than just sitting in a class, hearing someone talk about it, and then just not processing it at all. Do it. Finally, or excuse me let, me, let me get more specific with the scriptures on this. Since our growth and building up are intended for specific purposes, we must, by his grace, offer to God lives fully submitted to him to proclaim the excellencies of Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 13. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. 
and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then, of course, we've talked about 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21, over and over again, that we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us to men who are lost and dying. But 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In other words, Paul came for this purpose, to know Jesus Christ and him crucified, to make his excellencies known. And then, of course, we come to Jesus' statement in Mark chapter 8, verse 35, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. One of my favorite songs of all time, just because of the message behind it, is a song called Another New World. And the text is a, is a bit of a ballad. It's a story about a uh, sailor, an adventure sailor, probably late 1800s, early 1900s, who has this ship called the Annabelle Lee. And he's all about exploring all these new places, and he's so adventurous that the ends of the earth are so enticing to him that he ignores all the dangers. And he gathers up a crew, and they go out, and they end up getting buckled down in the ice, and they get stuck. And then slowly over time, the entire crew dies, all his friends, and then he gets so desperate for warmth that he starts breaking down his precious ship for firewood until finally he's rescued and taken back to warmer climates and spends the rest of his life obsessing over the new worlds that he'll never get to explore. And the message of this story is this is a man who was obsessed with doing what he wanted to do at the expense of all the people in his life and all that was dear to him because what was more important to him was doing what he wanted to do. That is not what we are called to do. Our lives are no longer ours. We don't get to decide what we want for ourselves any longer. We are submitted to Christ. We go where we're told. We say what we're told. We do what we're told. All to proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that others can be called out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is your purpose. So no other agenda that you have is more important than that. And Jesus isn't, as I said last week, I believe, he's not an add-on to everything else you have going on in your life. He is the singular purpose of your existence. And everything else needs to be aligned to that. And if it cannot be aligned to that, it needs to go. So make this the purpose of your existence. Make the purpose of proclaiming His excellencies the driving purpose of your life because it is. So this means you're going to have to prioritize that which is most important. 
you're going to have to learn that if this is genuinely the faith that you've trusted in, this is the number one priority. Nothing's more important. Absolutely nothing is more important. Again, don't just add Jesus to your life on everything else you got going on. Oh, well, church is just something else I do. No, it can't be. And I'm not talking about just coming to church on Sunday. I'm talking about the, the whole of your life driven by this. All in your life must be conformed and aligned to this purpose. The reason for this is all that you might make Jesus known. That's the purpose. And so the command is for you to go and proclaim his excellencies. Go and make his salvation known. And ultimately, the highest purpose here and the highest aim is so that when we look out to this community, the Lord our God is glorified in this city. So that after we've labored and labored and labored for years on years to make him known, that it would be known in this area that God is glorified in that city. So as we conclude today, again, as we come to Christ, we need to long for the fundamental truths of the faith that we might be grown into the fullness of the salvation we have in Christ and be built up for the purpose of offering to God fully submitted lives and proclaiming the excellencies of Christ. When you come to Christ, the expectation is that you are being grown in his likeness for a purpose. You're not to look like Jesus just to live a moral life. You're not to look like Jesus so that your life is easy. You're to look like Jesus in order to bring glory to his name and to make his salvation known. Know that your pastors are here to help you. But understand, you have to take some initiative. If you need the help, tell us. But there's also initiative you need to take in the sense of you need to be on your knees in prayer. Unless you have a hard time getting down on your knees, and then obviously we understand. But the point is, you need to be going humbly before your God. Praying and seeking His grace. Grow in the knowledge of the Word of God so that you might know the God of the Word and make His excellencies known. And ultimately, submit your entire, whole, complete life to the work of the gospel. That those who are lost and dying will know that Jesus died for sinners and that by trusting in him they may have life eternal in his kingdom. May God bless this preaching of his word for the building up of the body of Christ that we might be the image of God in Christ to make his glory and salvation known. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you knowing that we only see a small glimpse of how awesome and glorious you are. How mighty and exalted and holy and righteous and just you are. We see a God whose loving kindness endures forever, whose grace and mercy has been poured out upon us, who's shown us loving kindness and faithfulness and patience has heard the prayers of your people. A God who has built us up and grown us into the likeness of Christ that we might make your glory and salvation known. This is no small grace that you have given us to do your work. 
And so, Lord, we pray when we have fallen short of this, we confess this to you. And by your grace alone, we repent and commit ourselves to turning from that sin. We pray, forgive us for that. Lord, we do pray for your grace and your mercy that you would help us to be a people that represents you well. That we ever continue to grow by grace and the likeness of Jesus. So that you would be seen, you would be known. And that those who are destined for your wrath would be saved. Give us the strength and grace we need as we leave this place, Lord, that we would not forget your word proclaimed by your apostle here today. To hear the words of Peter in these writings, to know what our work is to be, to proclaim and exalt your name. Let us not turn our attention away from this singular purpose of our existence. Help us to conform our entire lives to that purpose. Let your name be blessed and praised amongst your people. We pray this all in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. Pastor Dillon, there are a lot of our brothers and sisters out there who are really struggling to grow in the likeness of Christ. Why do we see such struggle in the process? Absolutely. First, I would say that many, if not most of our brothers and sisters are struggling because they are beginning in a very bad place with themselves. We absolutely cannot advance in the likeness of Christ by disciplining ourselves into it. The scriptures are clear. We are completely incapable of changing ourselves. We have to begin on our knees in prayer, seeking the grace of the Lord to change us. But secondly, I would say it is a struggle. It's not easy. We will continue to struggle with sin and mourn over our failures until we either die or the Lord returns. And this is fine if we are continually, by His grace, confessing our sin, repenting, and seeking the grace to walk in obedient submission to Him. The real problem is when we just throw our hands up in the air and give ourselves over to our sins. Not only is this sinful, but it is also potentially the sign of one who is not even a Christian. We have to begin with grace. And as you said, this has to begin in the place of prayer. Exactly. If the Lord wants us to be conformed to the image of God in Christ, and we are seeking His grace for this to happen in us through prayer, there's absolutely no reason why we should expect that we wouldn't be so changed. Well, we will continue our series in Being the Image of God in our next episode, Manifesting Love. We hope you can join us. Thank you for listening to the Faith Pampa Podcast, the podcast teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church in Pampa, Texas. We hope you can join us again. For more information on Faith Bible Church, you can visit our website at www.faithpampa.org. We hope that this time has grown you in Christ and helped you to know how better to manifest the love of God and to make disciples all for His glory. Thank you.